Previously on the Nature of My Game podcast. But at that moment, Donald, you notice something odd. Someone, in fact. A fellow art student named Calvin Leith ducks and weaves his way through the crowd. What's particularly odd is that a few weeks ago, Calvin Leith was all anyone in your social circles could talk about because he had disappeared. Is that Leith over there in the crowd? You can start to make out some of the things that he's saying. The doors. The doors of judgment. We need to get you up and get you into a safe location. And he's able to get out a whisper. For Rue Caron. Is that where he wants to go? Should we try to get him there? You see something fall off of his wrist. It's like a, a shiny black bracelet. You find the plaza where Notre Dame sits. <laughs> There's no one running around in a mask right now dancing, correct? We were just outside and noticed something strange. Has there been stonework done on them recently? I, had, I hadn't realized. And you think that the stone matches the stone of Calvin's bracelet. And as surprising as it might seem to you, you watch this priest walk away and you see a little bit of a bulge on his side and you think he's carrying a pistol under his cassock. Cohasset, Massachusetts, 1893. You'll see those poor devils, how they all will scoot. What? What is that? Way, hey, blow the man down. It's too damned early. What is that noise? Assisted along by the toe of a boot. Give me some time to blow the man down. Donald Braith's body felt as heavy as lead as he tried to pull himself up, and his head felt heavier than the rest. He sat up in bed, swung his legs over the side, and immediately felt dizzy. From the drinks the night before, the sun shining through the window, the sailors singing outside his window, or some combination of all three, he wasn't quite sure. All he knew was that he couldn't see straight. At that moment, the events of the night before came flooding back to him. They seemed like a dream, a nightmare really, but then again, they had felt like a dream last night too. It couldn't have been real, but he hadn't imagined it either, he was sure of that. The masks, the dancing, his parents, it was too much for him to handle. He forced himself up and, though unsteady on his feet, he stood and shuffled toward the side table. A tray of coffee had already been placed in his room, and he poured himself a cup, scalding himself as he drank too quickly. His hands were jittery, and he wasn't sure if it was from the shock of the hot coffee, his memories from the night before, or something in between. He placed the cup down unsteadily and spilled coffee into the saucer, but he barely noticed. He needed to see Cecilia. She had been with him last night, walked back to the house with him. She hadn't seen whatever it was, but she had calmed him down, helped him get back to his room. His sister always knew how to keep him grounded. The brightness from the windows in his room gave way to the dark, cold hallway of his parents' manor house. It was still early in the morning, despite the sailors singing, and only a few of the oil lamps were lit. He moved with a purpose, ignoring the pounding in his head and the shaking of his hands, until he reached the door to his sister's room. He could breathe now. Cecilia would help. He reached toward the knob but thought better of it and knocked gently on the door. Cecilia, are you up? Can we talk? No answer. He knocked again, harder this time. See, I really need to talk with you. My head is spinning. 
Still nothing. He knocked harder still, no longer concerned about respecting her privacy, and reached for the doorknob. He tried to open it, but it was locked. Cecilia, open the door, please! Master Donald, what's the matter? It's so early, why are you yelling? The brace butler, Luther, was walking toward Donald with a look of concern on his aged and wrinkled face. He had been with the brace for decades, and Donald could tell that Luther was appalled at his strange behavior. Luther, where is Cecilia? Have you seen her? I need to speak with her. Her door is locked, and there's no way she'd be sleeping through the noise I was making. Where did she go? Your sister, sir? Yes, Luther, my sister. Cecilia. Cecilia Braith. Have you seen her? Master Donald, are you quite sure everything is all right? Perhaps I should take you down to the kitchen, get you a glass of water or something for your headache. Not now, Luther. I need to speak with Cecilia, and if you don't know where she is, you're no help. Without waiting for an answer, Donald could tell by the look on Luther's face that he didn't know where his sister was. Donald stormed past the butler and down the stairs, shouting his sister's name all the way. As he reached the foot of the stairs, he turned instinctively to look at the large portrait of his family hanging in the foyer. He looked at it each time he passed, reminding himself that the Donald in that portrait, proud, confident, unflustered, was the one he was expected to portray to the world as well. But when he saw the faces of his parents, the horrors of the night before came flooding back, and he nearly fell to the ground. As he steadied himself on the banister, he finally saw the portrait in full, and let out an uncharacteristic gasp of shock. Three faces in the portrait, his father's, his mother's, and his, stared back at him. His sister, Cecilia, his rock, his anchor in times of turmoil, was nowhere to be found. Leading up to starting this podcast, I gave the rest of the players a little bit of an insight into, you know, where we'd be starting, obviously what the setting is when they were making their characters, but just kind of how I was going to set the scene. And then, of course, I started out and did something different than what I said I was going to do. So I originally said we were starting in the morning and then I had them start in the evening, um, which I think threw some of them off. But I am curious... Was there something that any of you researched that um, you're really looking forward to bringing into the podcast or that was so random that took you down a rabbit hole? I mean, I, I, I constantly go on research rabbit holes. It's it's my it's my thing. I, I know. So I started looking for hangover cures because I figured that would be relevant and discovered all manner of things. Because like when you go searching for like old time hangover cures, you get from like you got to carry around a dead rabbit. That's what they did in the Middle Ages, which I was not. I was not going to bring that in. I discovered. Well, I, first, I discovered two things. I discovered there's some sort of liqueur called frenet, I think, that is still around, very popular in Brazil, and Ooh. originated as a hangover cure. But mostly, I went down the thing about the prairie oyster which is a hangover cure that involves an egg yolk, Worcestershire sauce, some various other ingredients, and apparently was brought 
to Paris like 20 years or so before our setting by an American. So I apologize uh, on behalf of all Americans for the invention of the prairie oyster. Um, but luckily, none of us had to think too hard about swallowing egg yolks for, for today's game. I feel like I had a college friend who would swallow egg yolks and Worcestershire sauce. It, it, it's basically a Bloody Mary, except with eggs. And I don't know. <laughs> eggs and sin, I feel. Delicious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm. Oh, didn't we all do that in college? Crack <laughs> eggs over our own open mouths and just indulge. Gaston style. Just... Do the egg toss race, the egg spoon carry. And then, yeah, the and three-legged then. race. That was a college thing, right? Everyone did the three-legged race and the egg spoon carry. Come on, let's do a body shot! And then I smash an egg on my face and someone licks the yolk off. Mm, college. It takes like 15 uncomfortable minutes to get my face clean as the person's like still, and I'm like, come on, get it over with. It's awful. Don't do it. Don't do it. No yoke body shots. You're not allowed to have a paper towel or uh, anything like that. No, no. If that's not that's college. Not I don't allowed. know what it is. Uh, Mike, Tommy, any any uh, any deep dives that you went into? Or are you just coming at this raw? Okay. The weird. I I I don't know. I feel like the weirdest hole I had to go down was um, researching Southern railroads. <laughs> because I was like, oh, my character's like my character's father owns a railroad in the south. That's part of the character. And then I was like, is it an invented railroad that he owns? Is it real? Wait, what were the real southern railroads? I'm sure there were a bunch. And so then I started looking at all these. And yeah, there's a massive number of like lines all over the south of, of like railways and things. And I still am not clear on the way in which they all sort of came together and like oh God, no. fell under particular umbrellas of certain rail companies. But like, that was the thing I started to like weirdly get the weird <laughs> rabbit hole. I started to go down and was like, Oh, Industry. Southern railroads. Sure. Let's find out about those. <laughs> I'm, I'm having, I'm having visions of, um, bringing this group after hopefully they survive 1895, <laughs> bringing them Fingers. forward 30 years and then having them run horror on the Orient express. Oh, that would be terrific. Tommy, terrific. You're set. You're set. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm, I'm so glad this isn't a video podcast because otherwise all of the, the, the viewers would have had to watch me struggle like not to make a Tommy research and railroads joke. Like I was holding my face because he's known train fan, known rail fan. Um, Big train fan. Over yeah, yeah, well, train yeah, we've we've now we've already we've we've uh, alienated our French listeners, and oh, now no. we've alienated our railroad obsessed Enthusiasts. listeners. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's really it's we're really doing well. We've got we've got mm -hmm. one person left listening. Tyler, and let's talk shit on <laughs> birds now. Um, that's my brother who likes birds, folks. I don't want to be too inside baseball. Um, the thing that the thing that I research, and I try to stay away from. Uh, like deep dive rabbit hole researches because there is there's a point at which like I think it's fun for a certain point and then like you hit a point in your life where you recognize like and here is where a person uh loses it like here is the moment in which you decide is that the eye of Horus appearing in my television or do I just put this to bed not google it go to sleep and think about it never again I get to that point and I always decide not to, but like eventually, what do you get? Like eight and then you run out. So I don't want to risk it. I feel like mm -hmm. I'm maxed out. So I stay away from deep dives. But what I did do was uh, I was researching a lot of, um, and I mentioned it before, I was researching a lot of different authors and artists of the time because it's kind of 
you know, when you want, I wanted to find someone who he could kind of like in the world. And I, Emil Zola. And uh, what then happened there is <laughs> I just genuinely uh, saw the Wikipedia page, was like, I know this of him. I kind of know things he's written. I scanned it and then I was like, remember Armin Zola from Captain America? And I searched him <laughs> and this is, I'm not making it up. Two and a half hours later, I was like, "Whoa, that's a lot of Marvel villains. Time for bed. <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot about a lot of guys. You're honestly, the Marvel villain histories that you read up on are as likely to come into play as any yeah, of the train yeah. research that I did. So it's totally fine. My like, goodness, here comes uh, the absorbing man on, on a train. <laughs> that train is owned by the Southern Line. <laughs> Their motto was the train of the South. That's that's Emma Frost driving it. <laughs> One thing I didn't research, of course, was whether the sculpture or the facade of The Last Judgment was outside or inside <laughs> the Notre Dame Cathedral. So mid-episode, I was panicking uh, as to whether when I described that it was over the door on the outside, whether that was right or not. I checked. It is on the outside. So hey! I got that right. I don't think we did anything too egregious. <laughs> like, there might have been a night day. Like, I think we were pretty, we were yeah. there. I think we stayed pretty solid. Your big retcon of episode one. They had to step inside to look at the judgment. The judgment. We've already lost the, the cannon slaves now, so now we've really... Uh, <laughs> who's left, folks? <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so as we, as we re-enter our story, um, the friend group of Monty Hogg Francis Anderson and Donald Braith were sitting at their normal cafe, Le Vu Gras, and they saw a fellow art student named Calvin Leith, uh, someone who had disappeared uh, a couple of weeks ago. They saw him bumping into folks and stumbling through the crowd, muttering to himself. And so they approached, and he was babbling nonsense about the doors of the Last Judgment and black stars under a white sky. And they decided to try to find him some uh, some medical attention. Uh, he ran away from them, and they tackled him to the ground. Uh, but they were able to get him to a doctor. Um, and as he was being taken inside by the doctor, he dropped a strange black uh, bracelet that they then picked up um, and examined. And there were strange figures with grotesque white masks on them, seemingly in some sort of worship. And as Calvin was being taken care of by the doctor, the group decided to look into a little bit of what Calvin was babbling on about. And so they went to the Cathedral of Notre Dame, uh, where Donald believed the doors of the Last Judgment might be a reference to, because there's a famous sculpture or facade of the Last Judgment over the main doors of Notre Dame Cathedral. And they stopped there on the way to um, an address that Calvin had mentioned that he seemed to want to go to. And so you arrived at the cathedral. Um, Monty had a conversation with the gendarme who was outside, um, gave, offered him a little bit of a bribe, seems to have won him over. So potentially that's a uh, an ally of yours moving forward. Generous donation. Yes, a generous donation to uh, to buy a new um, uniform because his was moth-eaten. Meanwhile, Francis <laughs> and Donald went inside to talk to the priest about some 
strange renovations to the ironwork of the doors that they had noticed that seems to be using the same stone that Calvin's bracelet was made of. Um, Donald, um, in his uh, very charismatic way, had a very quick conversation with the priest and then got angry and stormed <laughs> off. Uh, but Francis continued to speak with him. Um, and even though he shared that n- uh, the, that the doors were being renovated and that there was nothing strange about it, um, she got the sense that he was lying. Uh, and he quickly made an excuse and walked away. And as he was walking away, uh, Monty was arriving uh, next to Francis. Francis noticed that the priest was limping as though he were injured. Maybe he he was having trouble bending his knee for some reason. But even stranger, Monty noticed that it seems like the priest is carrying a pistol underneath his cassock. And that is where we will pick up again today. All three of you are inside the Cathedral of Notre Dame in Paris um, and deciding what to do. I will nudge Francis and indicate the bulge uh, kind of on the on the side of <laughs> the priest as he is leaving. Francis, either they have gotten very serious about stealing from the collection plate in this particular church, or something is going on here which we uh, are not privy to. Oh dear, I dare say you're right. And I kind of beeline over to them. Did you notice the priest is carrying a gun? I mean, I do. I do now. Um, I feel like we shouldn't call attention to it, but priests don't carry guns. Not in America, not in France, not anywhere. It is unusual. I, I mean, do we, do we try to, to approach him again? And get shot with a gun? I don't know if that's the wisest move. I've already broken off from the three of them. <laughs> Excuse me, father. Oh, no. Father. <laughs> father, just please, a moment. Yes, sir. Uh, I am having a crisis of faith. Is there a... Can we speak somewhere private? Well, we we have regularly scheduled confessions uh, later this evening. No, I, it's a current crisis of faith. What is... Come over here, and he, like, waves you over to one of the, like, side pews and sits you down. What is it, my son? Father, uh, I am a reasonable person and a logical person, and I have to assume that the gun that you currently have on your sidearm is is for a reason and that you are you are there's a perfectly perfectly reasonable uh, reason for you to have it and all i'm asking as a child of god is you to tell me why exactly a priest would need a gun he looks at you with somewhat surprised eyes And it's like he's considering for a moment what exactly he wants to say. Can I, can I sidle over at that time and, and say, father, you've helped so many. Perhaps we can help you. And he stands up and looks at both of you and says, I don't believe that any of you have any role in helping me out here. I think this is none of your business. And he steps out of the pew and walks up the aisle. Can I get in his way? You can. You can get in his way. Yes. Do you have the? Do you have the thing? Do you have it or do I? Uh, I think I still have it. I. Sh- you. You had. We're holding it temporarily to look at it. I think I'm. I think I still have it at the moment. What I actually would just kind of step in his way, and I have my journal out, 
Father, I know a lot of wonderful publications in this city uh, who uh, I respect and who happen to respect me as well. You may have even seen one or two of the small pieces I've had published in local uh, reports and newspapers and things of that nature, and I was just writing a little article here that I was hoping I could get published about how uh, interesting it is that the uh, priests in the Cathedral of Notre Dame are having to sling iron. He says, keep keep your voice down. I'm sorry, Father. What was that? Fine, fine. Now is not the time, though. Come back tonight. I will leave the side door open. Come back. Meet me in the gallery. And he turns and he points up, up above kind of the doors in the back of the cathedral. And you see there's a bit of like a landing. Um, there's there's one landing where the where the organ is, and then up above that there's another landing. He says, I will leave the side door open, meet me up there, and we will have a conversation later this evening, but not now. And he pushes past you back toward the sacristy. What time? Just 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 curious. <laughs> he he doesn't he doesn't respond. <laughs> That's no way to make an appointment. And Donald's just kind of like staring off at him. Like he he he, when they were first talking and he, that moment of consideration, I think he was uh, hopeful for, like, he thought for a moment that he was going to receive clarity and, and logic. And he was so, like, kind of clinging to that moment. And now he can't, he can't move out of that individual part. He's just looking at the priest wondering, like, what was he about to say to me? Let's go to the address then. Yeah, I think we will find out more information tonight. So let's let's head over to uh, is it four Rue uh, four Rue Caron Rue Caron Rue Caron Rue Caron Yes, excellent. So before, as you're you, you're you're walking out the door, and the gendarme Maurice Frenet uh, taps you on the shoulder, Monty says, "Excuse me, uh, sir." Yeah, Maurice, yes, yeah, of course. Don't you don't need to call me sir, my friend. You can call me Monty. What is it? Well, I I I overheard a bit of your conversation there with the with the priest, with with Father Sicard, and well there's something a bit strange about the the man who is renovating the, the gates. Something strange? What uh, Maurice, whatever could you mean? And he kind of pulls you around the corner of the cathedral um, to a place that's a little bit more private. Now, does he just have Monty or all three of us? He has all three of you, yeah, yeah. Right. Did we bark up the wrong tree here? <laughs> <laughs> he says, well, a few weeks ago, I received a letter. It had the official seal of the archbishop on it. I, I knew it was official. And it asked me to, how you say, stay away from this area when the artist would be working on the gates. And and there was also some money in it for me. I, I, I understand, you understand that I need to make a living in the best way that I can. Of course, of course. And so it's, it's so strange that he 
he must just be eccentric. I, I don't know. I don't know why he wants his privacy, but I was instructed to to stay away, and I have done so, but I just find it odd. I, I thought you would want to know. We deeply appreciate that information. That is very important. And let me just tell you something else, my good friend. And I pull out another coin or note or something. Please understand. You and I, we are friends. However, I do not take advantage of my friends. You have been doing work, and you have helped us. And this is in case any more information surfaces that you would uh, think would be interesting to us, that you would like to pass along to us. That is for any future work you happen to do uh, on our behalf. I do not like to take advantage of my friends. I, I feel, suspect you feel the same way. So here you are, sir. A note of appreciation and uh, a note to prepay for any work you might do on our behalf later. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, sir. And one last thing, Mr. Hogg, uh, Monty. He comes very late at night when he does his work. Very late at night. What time are we talking? Well after midnight, sir. All right. Early, early hours in the morning. All right. Well, thank you for letting us know. That means we might be able to... All right. Well, thank you. And so after the three of us turn to start walking... I kind of purposely let myself fall a little behind just so I can have, I need to ask him one quick question, the the guy, Maurice. I turn around to him, uh, sir, uh, the, the Father Sicard mentioned uh, scheduled confessions. Could you tell me what time those are? Yes, I believe they are in one hour. Thank you. And I walk away, making a private note to myself that the confessions are in an hour. All right. So you're heading to... For Rue Caron. Yes. Okay. So you make your way across the other side of the river um, into the neighborhood of Les Marais, um, which is where for where where Rue Caron is. Um, and you are you know you kind of looking around. It, it ends up being a, a pretty small little side street, um, and you find. Uh, you find the apartment building, and it's it's a rundown four story apartment building. The brick looks to be crumbling. It's clear the architect spent no time adding any artistic flourishes to the exterior. The building is plain, and it has seen much better days. Truly beautiful. <laughs> is this the normal style, Dom? Of this neighborhood, perhaps, but not of the era. Should should we try to? to go in. I don't know what apartment he'd be in. Or, or what we're going to see. We, we're here, but... Well, we can see if there's any black stars on white skies on any of the doors, I guess. Yeah, lying around, or... Perhaps any mass dances <laughs> in the hallways. <laughs> and so, we walk into the building, and it's you said it's an apartment building, right? Uh, yeah, it's an apartment building. Four stories. So the first, whatever the first one... Like the first door on either side of us, the closest apartment. We walk in, and I just kind of knock on the door. Um, you hear some shuffling around in there, um, and um, the door kind of creaks open, and you see just a couple, a pair of eyes kind of looking out um, through the crack in the doorway. Yes, I am a, a classmate of mine, uh, Calvin. Calvin Life. Uh, 
does he does he live here? Does does this does that name mean anything to you? I don't know anyone by that name, and he slams the door. It will. What a friendly, companionable building. Shall we, uh, we can look on the various floors and see if there is any door, any marking, or anything that might look either out of place or might indicate which of these uh, fine abodes belong to Mr. Leith. It certainly seemed like that person was lying, so I don't think we can count on asking anyone for help here. So we, do we, would we split up? Probably, right? Just go all, just kind of take a floor? That's fine with me. Do you want to... Don, you want to finish the first floor here? I'll go up to the second, and Francis can take the third? Certainly. Okay. And so, is your plan to just look around? You're not going to try to talk to anyone else? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead when I'm on my own and, and knock on doors and see if I can find anyone who might know. I will not knock on doors, but if there is anyone in the hallway as I happen to be there, I may uh, try to speak to them. I'm just, I'm going to give a cursory look, because I'm really thinking, I can't stop thinking about the the confession in an hour. That's obviously where I'm fixated. So I'm not really looking that hard. Gotcha. So you all start to kind of look around. Um, the the staircase is dingy. The only light is coming from a few kind of flickering electric lamps on the walls that seem like they could go out at any moment. There's dust and grime in the corners of the walls. It's a, you know, it's not a well-kept apartment. And, you know, thinking back again... Uh, you know, you would know, I think especially Donald and Francis, um, Donald with your, your experience with just general culture and Francis, your knowledge of society, the Leiths are, uh, they, they looked out in the industrial boom, um, and m money is not an issue for Calvin Leith or his family. And so the, the idea of him living here seems very, very strange to you, or that there's some specific reason that he has chosen to live here. Um, and you're all looking around, you know, it's all relatively nondescript. Um, but Francis, you, you knock on a couple of doors, um, you get very similar reactions to, um, to the one that Donald got when he knocked on the door on the first floor. Monty, you do run into someone in the hallway. Um, and it's it's a, an older man. Um, and he kind of looks at you strangely and says, Yes, can I help you? Sir, <laughs> how are you doing today? Uh, I am just inquiring after a gentleman by the name of Calvin Leaf. Uh, I had heard he was hereabouts and we must get in touch with him. The matter is urgent. I don't believe I have heard that name. Uh, what does he look like? Um, I'll just describe what he looks like. Um, I don't remember what, what the description was, so I will describe what he looks like to, to this gentleman. Hmm. Yes, I I believe that, uh, well, the, the, the occupant of the fourth floor apartment uh, used to be a Mr. Mitch, uh, Laurent Mitch, but recently I, I believe that I have seen a, a young man uh, fitting your description. He Perhaps he moved in on the fourth floor? Uh, he, did he move into uh, Mr. Laurent Mitch's uh, apartment? Is that is that what you are indicating? Or he is a friend of uh, Mr. Mitch? Uh, could, could be either, I suppose. I, I have not been up there, but uh, 
Yes, perhaps they are family, or perhaps he moved in. I, I have, now that you mention it, I haven't seen Mr. Mr. Mitch in, in a few weeks, so perhaps he is gone. I, I do not know. Monsieur, you are a gentleman. Which, uh, which apartment up on the fourth floor uh, was Mr. Mitch's, or is Mr. Mitch's? There is only the one. You will you will find it. Uh, just one on the f- Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you very, very much indeed. I'm much appreciated. Um, I will go upstairs first to the third floor to let Francis know. Um, and then we can collect Don on the first floor. Francis, I think we know uh, what apartment we're looking for. It's the fourth floor, the only one. Um... Does not belong to Mr. Leaf, but he has been seen hanging about the area. Hmm. All right, then. Does that mean we have to walk all the way back down and then walk all the way back up? You know, this was probably not the wisest (laughs) decision. I probably should have started by going down to the first floor and then walking back up. (laughs) I suppose I need the exercise. Let's let's go uh, contact Don. All right. There's nothing that makes good audio content like a discussion of logistics. Which <laughs> <laughs> floor to go to first? <laughs> that's important. That's important for Francis. And can I actually ask a clarification point? Of course. Um, we knew that Calvin had been missing for a few weeks, and we know that the um, the that the gendarme got the letter three weeks ago. Is that? Relatively same amount of weeks, as far as we know. Is there a correlation? Uh, certainly could be a correlation. It's you know it, it's it's not necessarily exact, but it's it's okay. Well, we haven't heard anything more exact. I guess is is the better question. Okay, good, good, good. Correct. Yep. All right. So the three of you make your way up to the fourth floor. Um, there is uh, as as the uh, as the older gentleman had shared with you. There is only one apartment up there. Um, outside, there are several letters scattered on the threshold, um, and as you look closer at them, they are addressed to a um, Mr. Laurent Mesh. Um, and then you also notice a, an unaddressed hand-scrawled note, actually a couple of them, that are threatening eviction of Mr. Mesh. When is the eviction date on the notices? Uh, a few weeks ago. And the man said he'd seen Calvin... Here, Monty? Yes, he seemed to indicate that he had seen him around. He has not seen Mr. Mitch in a while, but he has seen uh, Calvin around uh, more recently. It doesn't seem like anyone's seen Mr. Mitch in a while. The state of his billfold and his hallway are any indication. I mean, should should we knock? Should we try and see if it's just open? So, uh, 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 Daniel, I must call him Carl. Daniel leans down and, uh, Donald, jeez. Donald! And, uh, Donald. Donald, <laughs> Donald, you're on character. Yeah, I was thinking of, uh, yeah. And I, he reaches down and he, he, uh, just checks if it's open. I don't know if it is, but he checks. The door is unlocked, yes. So he just throws it open. Well, there we are, I suppose. Hello? Just in case. So you you walk in the apartment, and as the door to the apartment swings open, you're met with a pretty shocking sight. The floors and walls of the apartment are completely covered in papers, almost as if they've been blanketed with them. 
At a quick glance, many of the papers have drawings of what look like churches on them, while others are covered in scribbled writings. Elsewhere, on various surfaces throughout the apartment, the papers have been sculpted up into paper mache churches, and these churches have candles set in the front of them, lit and many dripping dangerously low on the paper. These candles, plus a narrow window, window offer the only source of light in the apartment. Can I just run and blow out the candles so we don't all burn down? <laughs> uh, yeah, sure, no problem. I do that. As she's doing that, it, Donald is like, the, it, nah, this isn't okay. So he just leans over to Monty and just says, I, 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 I lack the constitution for this portion of the investigation. I'll see you in the morning. And he just walks out. He just walks out of the room with a purpose, down the stairs, out the door. He's gone. And he starts walking right to Notre Dame, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Francis, I believe we are dealing with some things that have uh, affected our friend here. It seems that uh, these unusual occurrences are just a little bit too much for him to handle. Rational man that he is. Yes. I suspect, basing, based on his earlier uh, focus, that he may be heading back uh, for that. You don't know that I asked. Actually, I, I was going to say... Yeah, I you didn't know that, that I asked actually. that. Yeah, okay. So I don't know where you're going. Just um, out, just walking. <laughs> yeah, just away. Well, it is concerning. I suppose what the best thing that we can do, carry out an investigation here. We are here, after all. This is what we came to find out, was what was going on. <sighs> and then we will try to reconvene with our friend at a later point. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know what else there is to do. I, I hope he's well. Do any of the various drawings and sketches and things around this apartment mean anything to you? I mean, I don't know. I'll, I'll look around. I'll, I'll try to see what I can, if I can suss out anything. So, w before you do that, why don't you both roll me a, uh, make me a, a sense trouble test? Oh. Feel free to use any spend you'd like from your pool. Okay. This, this place is alarming. Um, things are not well here. I'm going to go ahead and use one from mine. I'm going to use... I'm going to use one as well. Okay. <sighs> that would be a total of two. Everything's fine in Francis land. I got a total of five. All right, so um, you both start looking around a little bit, and as you're moving... Uh, Monty, you detect some sort of smell. You just kind of <laughs> sniff around, and it there's a faint smell of rotting meat. Oh, no. So there's no specific source of it. You said the floors and the walls are blanketed in papers at the moment. Is that true? That's correct, yes. How large are these papier-mâché churches? Um... Maybe a foot, foot and a half on, on you know, uh, on either side in height or so. Hmm. Um, and you start looking around at the the papers and the drawings. And it, it becomes pretty clear as you're looking that they all depict, all of the drawings depict the same church. Um, and you've just been there. 
Um, they all depict um, Notre Dame in some way or another. Um, some of them just depict kind of a sliver of a view as if you were looking at Notre Dame from a distance. Others focus on the doors. Um, and some of them are even like zoomed right up in as if the door, the doors were way out of proportion to what they actually are on the church, that they're much larger. Uh, I would like to actually take the, all of the papers and bills and things that were outside the door that we first saw, um, pick those up and just go through them really quickly to see if there are any names or anything that I might recognize, anything that stands out to me in that, in that batch of papers and bills and things. No, they, they're all addressed to uh, Mr. Laurent Minch. Okay. All right. That smell. Do you smell that? Well, I guess now that you've mentioned it. Something rotten, uh, though not in the state of Denmark, I suppose. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> but right here in this apartment, which makes me think that smell has to be originating from somewhere. We have these um, unusual churches here. And we may also have, potentially, passageways or hiding holes that are hidden, papered over. Oh, good heavens, I didn't even think. And so as the two of you are examining, we're going to shift over to Donald. So Donald, you walk out of the apartment, down the stairs, out of the apartment building, are you, and you're heading back to Notre Dame? Yep, and I'm just, it's like that fight or flight, it's just... It's how I handle, obviously, seeing shocking things. I just start walking to my destination where I think I'm going to get some kind of answer. Gotcha. So you, you get back to the plaza. There are fewer people there now. You know, many of the churchgoers have filed out. Uh, the gendarme is still there. The children um, who were kind of flitting about among the plaza are still there. They're kind of hanging out off to the side, trying to avoid no the notice of the gendarme, you think? Um. And, you know, the, the church doors are still open. So I start, I just make a beeline. I pass the gendarme. They're, they're unattended children over there. They should really be sent home. And I just keep walking. I didn't even look them in the eye when I said it. And I go in. I don't consult the time. I don't know if I'm early, late, whatever. I haven't. I just kind of scope where the confessional is. Yeah, um, so there you, you see that there are a few other people who are sitting and waiting to go to confession. So I just sit and I wait with them. All right. Um, you know, a few people get up before you and then um, a door opens and someone comes out of the confessional and it seems to be your turn. So I walk in, I sit down. I'm I'm doing I'm not doing the face to face. No, I go not face to face. No, yeah. <laughs> Do they have face to face yet? I don't. <laughs> I don't know. Probably not. I don't think so. <laughs> that feels post Vatican II to me. <laughs> yeah. So I take a seat and I do as best I can remember. Bless my mother's and I've been some time before my last confession. Father, I think you nailed it. Um, and so, yeah, you, you hear a voice say, well, tell, tell me your sins. Um, and it does not sound like Father Sicard. Father, I, I consider myself a, a, a rational, logical man who knows a, a good deal about the world around me, understands it. 
on the only level that it need be understood. The natural. The actual. And I know that this place is a place of ritual, and this place is a place of ceremony, and this place... <laughs> Whatever it is, you're all hiding behind your ceremonies. You... Father, I need to understand what is happening here because I cannot live in a world that I do not understand. Do you understand me, Father? Yes, my son, I, I do believe that I do understand and it can be difficult to accept things that you cannot see, that you cannot feel, that you cannot touch, that you cannot reason out. I. I do know I am I'm a man of studies myself, and I too have felt a similar challenge to my faith, but as they say, the Lord works in mysterious ways sometimes. It is impossible for us to always understand his plan for us, his plan for the world. You must not seek to do so. With all due respect, Father, I don't give a damn, and I hit the thing in between us, about the plan about mysterious ways or about the Lord. I give a damn about the priest that I spoke to earlier who had a gun under his his robe. I'm talking about the unknown stone on the door. I'm talking about all of the occurrences in this building that don't go into the world of the natural nor your definition of the supernatural. Father, I want to know what's happening. I need to know what's happening. My son, do you know the story of Job? I can't say that I do. Well, Job was a righteous man, a pious man. He, they say, had no sin. And yet, the Lord chose to punish him. He took away all his riches. He took away his children, his wife. He took everything from Job. And Job questioned the Lord. For the first time, he questioned the Lord and said, Why? I was upright. I did everything you asked of me. Why have you taken everything away from me? And some say that the sin of Job was to assume that he understood, to assume that he knew what the right things to do, where he knew the Lord's will. Sometimes, my son, we must accept that we don't know. I think this might be one of those times for you, my son. What became of Job, father? Well, he had many conversations with the Lord. He advocated for himself and in the end, though everything had been taken from him, he was rewarded. He gained a new life, a new family, new riches in the end for accepting God's will. Thank you, Father. You've been... Thank you, Father. And I just get up and I walk out, same kind of just like nothing on my face. And I just go and stand in the plaza just kind of staring off into space. Uh, no idea what's going on or like where I'm at. So as you're standing there, 
Um, you're kind of lost in thought. You're you're like not really paying attention to everything that's going on around you, and um, you're you're almost startled to realize um, as as a one of the children has come over and um, kind of like tugs on your uh, on your shirt. It's a little girl. Damn. What? 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 What, what do you need? I And I just, like, reflexively kind of take out money. I don't even know how much, just like a handful. Here, little girl. Uh, uh, blessings upon you. Are you looking for something, sir? And that, obviously, it like... And I turned to her. What did you just ask me? You're staring at, at the doors. Are, are you looking for something or someone? Nothing I can find here. Uh, I, I suppose I'm just uh, lost in thought, little girl. And I kind of wheel to walk away. Are you waiting for the the man who who works on the gate? I turn around. Yes. In fact, I am waiting for the man who works on the gate. Well, he, he comes a lot later, late at night. And at this point, she's like, she looks a little scared to you or a little like she's either scared or nervous or maybe even desperate. And something in me, something about my my life, uh, kind of I get I crouch down when I see that on her and I say, what's your what, what's your name? I am Anja. Anji, you look frightened. It looks like this something is, is, is bothering you. You don't need to be frightened. You can talk. You can talk. You can tell me what it is. If something is something is worrying you. Can you help me? Yes, I can. I can try. Okay, well Well that the man, he he scares me. Why does he scare you? Well, we weren't supposed to, but, well, my brother and I, we were just curious. And so, you know, we came out here one night and, and we followed him home. And, well, he, he has a, a demon for a pet. He. And the demon attacked my brother. And now he's hurt and I don't know what to do. And she, now she's like, now she's like very jittery. And I. Grab her shoulders. Andre, Andre, it's all right. It's all right. I have some friends who will help us help your brother. I, I, I know where they are. We can go, we can go help your brother. Can you take me, can you take me to where the man lived? Yes. And so then we cut away from there back into Calvin Leith's apartment. And so it's it's pretty dark at this point. You know, there's still a little bit of ambient light that's, um, you know, coming through the narrow window, but you've blown out all the candles and it is getting darker. I was thinking maybe I saved like the last one. <laughs> Francis, roll up some of these. Just roll up some of these papers if you don't mind. Let's let's just get a little out on the subject. I'll just take random handfuls of some of these sketches and drawings 
and papers and roll them up and just occasionally be lighting like an improvised torch with them. No problem. And I I think if if Monty had suggested things covering the walls, that there might be things under there, um, I think Francis is going to try to like feel the walls and see if she can find doors, if she can find things that might be covered just in case. Sure, and Monty, as she's doing that, what are you doing? Did you say that there were that there were actual church-like sculptures made of paper mache, or that there were... Yeah. Okay, I'm I'm going to look at one of them and say aloud I had there were some workers who uh, came to work in my father's railroad business. Um, they came to make a better life for themselves here in America. My father's generous man uh, hired them and I'm grateful to say he paid them well. Some of them came up from Mexico and they brought some of their cultures and traditions with them and one of those I do remember very distinctly was that of the piñata. And I take <laughs> I will kick in one of these paper mache, paper mache churches. Yes, I've been to this. <laughs> Just stomp a hole in one if I can. So, Francis, you're over at the wall, kind of feeling around. Yeah, I've got my back to this. I don't know what a piñata right, is. Right, 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 exactly. Da, da, da. Exactly. <laughs> and so, you're, yeah, you're, you're kind of feeling around. Um, it feels like there are... You don't feel any, like, cracks in the wall or anything where, like, a door seam might be. But, like, there are definitely some places where there are more papers, and so it kind of bulges out a little bit. And then there's, a, you know, it, some, are, some are thinner. And as you're running your hands over it, you, you know, you're seeing all of these images of the doors of Notre Dame Cathedral. But there are, like I said before, there are some others that have writing on them. Um... And as you're as you're as you're looking at the writing, it starts to it starts to look like maybe that these are fragments of a play of some sort that has been written out. Um, and you start seeing some particular words. You see you see the phrase "black stars" written in one place. Um, you see two suns, strange moons. You see the phrase at one point written, the king in yellow with tatters that flap. And then you come across a phrase that makes your blood run cold. It's a, it, it's a description of a group of people with face, faces like masks dancing in a circle. And that's about the moment that Monty kicks in <laughs> one of these uh one of these church sculptures and monty you like kick off the top and it breaks apart and inside is just oozing blood as you kick off the top of one of these sculptures and you look down and it's you it, it takes you a moment to to realize what exactly is inside but you're horrified to find an organ oozing blood 
at the center of this paper mache you think a human organ and there are tiny shards of that same shiny black rock stuck inside the organ and you are so horrified that you don't notice that some of the papers on the floor start to rise and you both look over and you see Calvin Leith rising up out of the papers as, he, as if he was just lying underneath them waiting and he moves over to you to try to like throttle you for destroying this sculpture and that is where our story is going to end for today no thank you <laughs> This podcast was created using the Yellow King RPG by Pelgrane Press and is based on an adventure written by Sarah Saltiel called The Doors to Heaven, both used under the Pelgrane Press Limited community use policy, along with music from the Yellow King Suite written by James Semple. Our intro music was composed and produced by Jean-Luc Bouchard. You can find more information about the Nature of My Game podcast at NOMG Podcast on Twitter and Instagram or at nomgpodcast.com.